It's time for Cadillac on Call on News Radio 610 KONA. It's your chance to learn valuable health information right here in our community. Now, the host of Cadillac on Call, here's Jim Hall. Hello, friends. Welcome to Cadillac on Call, presented by the Cadillac Foundation. And each week we are here to talk about the latest health and medical news involving our community. And for much of the past two-plus years, we've spent almost the entire each hour of our program speaking about COVID-19. But uh, as the case counts continue to drop, uh, we haven't had to spend the entire hour focused on COVID. But tonight we're going to uh, get you caught up on the latest with the pandemic and uh, where the case rates are in our community. We're also going to touch on some other important public health issues as the temperatures warm in our community and as we work toward uh, the summertime warmer seasons. So we'll be talking about that with another public health contact with the Benton Franklin Health District. The second half of our program, we're going to spend addressing the issue of mental health and in particular, the, the incidence of suicide and what's being done in the community to reduce the incidence of suicide. We have one of the community health specialists with Catholic Regional Medical Center who provides incredibly important workshops and education to communities on the warning signs of suicide and associated other types of activities related to to that issue. So a lot to cover as we make our way through the month of April, and we're going to begin with the latest COVID update. And for that, we join Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District. And Heather, uh, mid-April as we speak, coming out of spring vacation, and I know when we last spoke a few weeks ago, the incidence continues to be fairly low and quite manageable. I know the hospitalizations continue to be very low, but where is the level of concern right now? We keep hearing about other variants and things of that nature. And I know in other parts of the United States, we're starting to see some some upticks in the cases. So what's the status of here in Benton and Franklin counties? Uh, you're exactly right, Jim. Locally, our case rates continue to be very manageable. They're low with Benton at 200 cases per 100,000 over seven days in Franklin County at 10.6. So we're, we're in good shape that way. Uh, hospitalizations, like you said, definitely uh, continue to decline. And that's really what we're looking at for data these days is, is focusing on hospitals, hospitalizations, and severity of illness that requires hospitalization. And at the moment, Tri-Cities is in a good place. But again, we look around some other places such as the East Coast and even a couple of counties here in Washington State on the west side where they're starting to see an uptick in their case rates. That's just, once again, our reminder that COVID is here to stay for who knows how long, and we need to be vigilant. We need to continue to watch how it's trending, what the the variants are that are, are likely to show up, how severe they are, how transmissible they are. And then that's the message to each and every individual in our, our local jurisdiction that you need to plan ahead. What are you going to do for mitigation strategies at the time that we see case rates increase, you know, especially for that unvaccinated or undervaccinated population who continue to be at significant risk should they catch COVID, and especially if we see a comeback or a new variant that is quite severe on those types of people. So, you know, we're enjoying the current data and how we feel moving about our community. But again, we need to be vigilant. We need to keep our 
eyes on what's happening data-wise and are things starting to increase in our community. If you could maybe do a contrast to where we were in January when these case rates due to Omicron were significantly very high. I think you'd said Benton County currently has 20 cases per 100,000, Franklin County about half of that per 100,000. Contrast what that was like in January, significantly higher, right? Significantly higher. I mean, in recent months, we were seeing it over 1,000 per per 100,000, 1,000 cases uh, per 100,000 of uh, community members. So we're definitely uh, in the right direction. We're holding in the right direction. Even our testing centers, CDC West and uh, the testing site in Richland, have seen a significant decrease in people coming in for the PCR test, but also the case rate there, the positivity rate continues to be pretty low. Again, as we've mentioned, especially over the last few months with the increase in antigen test kit use in the, in the home environment, it doesn't give us all the data we need to really track exactly how it's trending since that information doesn't it rarely gets um, reported to us. We really don't have good data on how how antigen test positivity rates look. But that's where we go back to those indicators such as hospitalization rates and severity of illness. And, and that's really what we focus on is making sure that our hospitals, our acute care facilities are not being overburdened and stressed like they were, uh, you know, only a few months ago where they were at capacity we were looking for beds all over, you know, the United States to take care of our community members. And so we don't want to get back to that. We must keep watching. And then again, back to it's that personal decision on those mitigation strategies that you're going to do should the case rate start to trend up. And I think, you know, with with the access to another booster for certain populations, that seems to be the key for at least the high-risk elderly population, getting all the boosters that are available to you really does seem to make the difference with catching it or severity of disease because we continue to look at a few long-term care outbreaks. And when we look at the vaccines in those people who actually catch it, unfortunately, it's, it's in the typically the unboosted. They may have gotten their first series but they didn't go on to get the boosters. And those are the people that are showing the severe illness. So I I think boosting for COVID is really going to be the name of the game for quite some time to come. And that boosting is for, I know, the age 50 and older, there's actually now a second booster that is, is, is available as well. And so while the numbers continue to inch up in the vaccination rates, still not where I know they need to be. What What's your advice, just a minute or two left of your time, what's your advice for people if, say, someone they know tests positive, what should the rest of their people do? Should they do one of these antigen tests right away? Right. What we recommend is if you know that you've been exposed, wait five days, get tested, and see where you stand. If you're feeling symptomatic, go ahead and test. And if it tests negative, but you really feel like you have had a, a a good exposure, then continue to keep away from people, do all those mitigation strategies so not to spread it to others, and then retest in a couple of days because sometimes it can take a little bit for enough of that organism to build up to actually get a positive test result. 
And at-home, free at-home antigen test kits continue to be a, a readily available, free. Um, you can go on our website, and um, we have links on how to access those. And those are consistently being available to be mail, mailed right to your doorstep. Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District. We're probably going to bring you back again. I think we still need to keep this COVID updates, uh, even though it's uh, not the entire show, but uh, certainly we need to keep this on our radar as we move through the spring. Heather, thanks so much for your time. We'll be back with the second segment of Cadillac on Call in a moment. You're listening to Cadillac on Call on 610 KONA. This program provides general information only. Any comments or information presented are strictly for educational purposes. Cadillac and 610 KONA do not endorse any of the suggestions made by the presenter or callers. Now back to Cadillac on Call. Once again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to Catholic on Call, presented by the Catholic Foundation. And as we move through the springtime, we want to continue to keep a public health focus on things other than just COVID-19. Certainly, we have discovered over the course of the past two years, with our emphasis on all these public health measures that are so important, we thought we'd like to expand our connection with our local public health experts on other public health issues that are important to to all of us and all of our listening audience. And tonight we have with us Jody Payton, who is an environmental health specialist with the Benton Franklin Health District. And Jody, uh, the weather is nice. We're seeing the blossoms, although you couldn't tell yesterday, right, or earlier this week. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) But I know last week it was in the 70s, but obviously the the better weather is on the way. And I know that means people will be getting outdoors, whether it's camping, uh, going out to enjoy uh, whatever it might be. But I know that raises some in, uh, concerns, at least, uh, with the presence of mice and ticks and things of that nature. So that's what we wanted to tap into your expertise tonight on. And what's the, I guess, this word hantavirus. Talk a little bit about that and what the level of concern is and what should what should people be aware of? Well, with hantavirus, it's a virus that's carried by the deer mouse, which is the country mouse. It's not the city mouse that we see in the cities, but it's more of a rural mouse. And the virus is spread by people breathing in the dust that's created by their urine, their feces, their saliva. Um, So when we go into buildings that haven't been occupied for a long time, like a cabin or you know, just a shack out in the woods where people have sat during the winter and eaten food and left crumbs. Those mice are going to come in there. And when you come in there and you see that it's messy, you start cleaning it up and you're inhaling these particles that could make you ill. Um, Just making people aware that these can be serious illnesses, but they are pretty rare and trying to, you know, reassure them that there's some pretty easy things that they can do common sense wise that will help them prevent exposure and just continue with their good day. So what, I guess, say if I own a cabin or I'm renting a cabin, I'm going to go up into the hills and enjoy some time this spring and summer, and it's that first time out, uh, what should I do then? I mean, is it a case of where you go in and maybe just, you know, what the what's the appropriate cleaning measures, I guess, before we uh, okay. start enjoying ourselves? Well, if you're going into a building that hasn't been occupied in quite a while, I would open the doors and windows and let it air out for several hours. Um If you find droppings or rodent nests, you can spray those down with 
bleach or Lysol, what you don't want to do is sweep them up or vacuum them up because that breaks the particles into dust that you can then breathe in. Um, wearing gloves, wearing a mask can all help you not be exposed to that virus. And after the place is clean, you can keep try to keep the rodents out of the house. So that's that's the the the, the key for the prevention uh, to getting it in the first place. But I know you'd touched on this this virus is extremely rare, but it can be very uh, it can be very debilitating if not fatal if caught. So all the more reason to be, uh, I guess, cautious cautious, mm-hmm. but don't let it get in the way of your your enjoyment. Right. Washington typically sees one to five cases of hantavirus a year, which, you know, isn't very many, but one out of three die from this. So it's, it is a very serious illness, and there isn't a cure. There's just you go into the hospital and you they support you with care until your body can overcome it and you can start to get healthy again. So it can be very debilitating. And obviously we're in a you know, in a rural part of the state and fortunate to have, you know, cabins and mountains and access to outdoor activities. But all the reason, I guess, if you if you involve yourself and want to enjoy these, just to take these precautions as you're going about that enjoyment. Right. What about you touched on we touched on another topic is and that is ticks, probably a little more common. But uh, what's the what's the concern about ticks? And is it too early to be seeing them right now? No, it's not too early to be seeing them. Personally, I have seen four already in just the past week. (laughs) Um, I pulled a couple off my dog. I found one on me. I just found one in the house somewhere. So uh, they're definitely out there. And April, May, and June are kind of the height of the tick season. So we can expect to see them when we're out on walks, um, walking through grasses along the river. Um, The ticks like to crawl on out to the ends of the leaves or the grasses and wait for something to brush by so that they can stick to them and then go look for a way to find a a blood meal Um, because that's what they need in order to complete their reproductive cycle. So what what I would go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I just probably the same thing. Um, Just wanted to, you know, reassure people that, you know, the tick has to bite in order to give any sort of disease to anyone. And not only does it have to bite, but it has to be attached for quite some time before it can start transmitting that disease. So avoiding them in the first place um, and finding them and removing them from your body and from your pet's body, that just eliminates all the chances of getting a disease from a tick. So if you get one on your body, how do you remove it safely? If it's just still crawling around, you can just brush it off. Um, If it's bitten, you would want to avoid the folklore remedies. You don't want to put grease or Vaseline on the tick in hopes that it'll suffocate and back itself out. Um, There's one where they take the end of a stricken match um, and touch it to the end of the tick and it's supposed to scare them and they'll back out, but that just causes more problems. The easiest way is to take a pair of fine tipped tweezers and grab them close to the head, right close down to the skin where he's bitten, and then to pull backwards with steady, even pressure. And to come in sideways, don't come in top, from top to bottom where you might squeeze its insides back inside. 
So it's almost like us removing a sliver? In that you go in sideways and right. not um, – with a sliver, you can go directly down on it and pull it out. But with a tick, you want to come in sideways and then pull straight out like a sliver. So what happens if I get the – you know, I'm, I'm, I'm bitten by a tick and I'm starting to experience – what kind of symptoms might I might experience and what should I do? Well, this is kind of the same as with hantavirus. If you do experience symptoms like um, a fever, flu-like symptoms – um, with ticks, you might have a rash, whereas hantavirus, you might develop trouble breathing. You know, remember that you were exposed to a mouse dropping at some point or that, oh, yeah, two weeks ago I pulled a tick off and let your medical care facility provider know that so that they can run the appropriate tests um, at least with ticks. There are treatments that are very effective, especially when they're caught early. Um, so as we move forward in this in the, in the springtime and we start to see these, then again, um, there there are treatments to do it. But is the point on even those ticks sound like they might be more common than the hantavirus? They are. We definitely see more cases of tick-borne illness in Washington than we do hantavirus, um, but we still don't see that much tick-borne illness in Washington. Um, Lyme disease is the one that everybody thinks of when they think of tick-borne disease, but here in Washington, that's a very rare occurrence um, because at least what we know on this side of the Cascades, there are very few of that species of ticks that carry the Lyme disease virus, or bacteria, it's not a virus. And um, so we don't really see it here. Well, that's good to know. I, we have just a minute or so left of your time. Uh, let's complete the, uh, I guess, the the uh, insect-related outdoor uh, oh. interaction. Well, but maybe, not... but like with with bee stings, and and are we starting to again as the weather warms? These are things that uh, uh, we need to be aware of. Yeah, they you know just with bee stings, and you know people if they have allergies, they need to be taking their epipens with them. Um, as we go forward into the season, we'll see mosquitoes becoming more common, and then we have West Nile virus to look forward to. Um, there's other insects that are biting, like bed bugs and things like that, but those could have their own little section on your show another day. <laughs> we will we will book you for that uh, later on in the okay. spring. But the bottom line, I guess, just what's the point, uh, bottom line message for people tonight regarding these topics? Just be aware that these um, rodent-borne diseases and the tick-borne diseases, that they're out there. But if you pay attention and be aware of them, you can prevent yourself from getting them and take a lot of the worry away from, did I get this when I was out there? Which really can wreck a fun time when you're out there with enjoying the sunshine with your family. Jody Payton with the Benton Franklin Health District. For more information on all of these uh, topics that we've addressed tonight, you can go to bfhd.wa.gov. Back with the second half of Catholic on Call right after this. You're listening to Cadillac on Call on 610 KONA. 
This program is not a substitute for direct consultation with your own health care provider. Always consult your health care provider for your specific condition, especially if you have or suspect you may have a medical problem. Now back to Cadillac on Call. Here again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to Catholic on Call, presented by the Catholic Foundation. And the Catholic Foundation is a nonprofit arm of Catholic and raises funds to support vital services in our community, not only provided in the healthcare setting for patients, for the benefit of patients, but also in the area of community health and making sure that our public is aware of the important community health issues that we have around the Tri-Cities area. And there's a wonderful program that's part of Catholic, and that's their community health programs. It covers a wide array of educational opportunities on important topics. And one of those topics is the incidence of suicide in our area. And we're happy to welcome to our program Courtney Armstrong, who is a community health program specialist with Catholic and is actively involved in, in providing opportunities to educate the public on the warning signs of suicide and also um, to take part in, and help coordinate initiatives to help reduce the opportunity people might have uh, that might be susceptible to suicide. And one of those projects, uh, Courtney, to, uh, will begin with is, I guess, very timely as because on this day, a giveaway was held over at Ranch and Home for folks with uh, for um, to receive free lock boxes, uh, lock safes, right, or for their guns, gun safe locks. And I know that was made possible through uh, contributions to the Catholic Foundations. But I guess first of all, just talk a little bit about this this giveaway, why it was held, and what its significance is. Yeah. So today we had a. Um firearm locking box safe storage giveaway at Ranch and Home where we give away 500 um, free firearm lock boxes that were donated um, by the Cadillac Foundation. So the motive behind this project is um, safe storage of firearms because in the United States, over 50% of suicides are firearm related. And so the strategy behind this is if we are reducing access to the means of suicide, for example, firearms or medications can also be stored in these boxes, um, then that will result in a um, reduction of suicide. So um, as a community, we're really committed to um, reducing access to firearms and medications um, to protect those um, from suicide. And with that, uh, relative to this this firearm safety, obviously uh, the work that Ranch and Home does to partner on this, they I know it's an important issue for them, especially if they're in the business of, as part of their their business is to sell safely uh, firearms. And so, is that is that why partnerships like this are important? Because again, um, the fact is, as you said, that it, and is the the incidence of suicide is often used with a firearm. So if you can maybe at least uh, help someone maybe prolong that urge, so to speak, that might be feeling that or the, 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 the suicide thoughts that, that if, if it can prolong it or at least get it past it, that it, that would be avoided. Yeah, absolutely. So partnerships like with ranch and home are so important when we talk about suicide prevention specifically reducing access to firearms um, to be used in suicide because um, Ranch and Home serves the population, one of the populations that we're trying to reach. So um, almost 50% of suicide deaths in the United States are in that middle-aged male population. 
So as you can imagine, middle-aged males, um, a large percentage of ranch and home customers are middle-aged males. And so a lot of those individuals own firearms. And so partnering with places like Ranch and Home allows us to reach the populations we need to reach. Um, and it allows somebody who is familiar with that population to be providing the education, the encouragement to lock up firearms. Um, and it just provides that relatable space for um, to do the prevention work for us. And so, of course, um, the message is more well-received um, if it's coming from somebody who you can relate to. And so partnerships like Ranch and Home um, go a long ways in suicide prevention, especially when we're targeting um, firearm-safe storage. And you mentioned the, that age group, so middle-aged males. And I think we've had this conversation before, but for our listeners who may not be familiar, why is that and, and, and how has that been identified? Is it just through the data? Yeah, so data shows us um, that the age range, middle-aged male, we call 35 to 64-year-olds. Um, and there's multiple reasons why this age group is at higher risk. Um, it can be anything from, um, you know, we're, we're taught from a very young age that um, males should not show emotion, right? The same, um, show emotion in the same way as females. Um, we might say things like, um, boys don't cry or grow up and get over it. Um, just taught, especially in some cultures, um, that males are supposed to be tough um, and not look weak. And so we really need to switch that frame of thinking and create an environment where males are encouraged um, to seek help, talk about mental health. And by doing that, we will really encourage um, more males to seek help and prioritize their mental health. So um, doing things like working with ranch and home, working with other um, like construction trade businesses, possibly to reach those male populations, um, is a really good strategy for that. I would imagine uh, is it is it is it well received among that population, or is it, or is it you know just by the nature of how you describe this 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 this. Uh, the approach that many men like myself might have is that, uh, you know, hey, I don't have any problem. But after a while, if they think about it, maybe over time, they'll it'll start to sink in. Yeah, that could be very tricky. And that does happen. And so um, with suicide prevention, we really try to um, recruit and have um, middle aged males who are passionate about suicide prevention, maybe have some lived experience with suicide prevention be the ones who are advocating and educating on suicide prevention. Just like I mentioned with Ranch and Home, um, their employees being the ones who are leading the educational piece and providing the lockboxes, it creates that buy-in, um, and it allows you to relate to people who are like you and have those conversations and connection. And so because of those barriers um, and the way, um, you know, some males might have a harder time opening up, um, and feel like maybe they're judged, um, it's a lot more successful if we have somebody um, that looks and acts like you um, building that connection. And so we see a lot of success using um, that type of strategy. Talk to me a little bit about how the pandemic, uh, is there any data? I know obviously the incidence of suicide is just so tragic uh, regardless of the age, but I know uh, with with the way the isolation that as a result of the pandemic, especially among our school age population, do we have any data that shows uh, how the incidence in our area of what it's been like? Yeah, so since, um, especially the last couple of years, um, with the impacts of COVID-19, um, we have definitely seen 
um, mental health issues rise as well as substance use issues, and youth have definitely been impacted by this. Um, so that social isolation has played a big part um, in deteriorating the mental health of a lot of youth in our area. Um, and as school has, you know, became um, back in person and, you know, youth are forced to spend more time with their peers, um, we've seen an increase in anxiety. A lot of youth having trouble transitioning back to being around people often. Um, and so we've seen some some issues with that. And so the isolation, um, the lack of pro-social activities, and for some youth um, have been, you know, stuck at home with maybe um, families or in a home environment that's not very healthy or supportive. So that has definitely impacted their mental health as well. But relative to suicide itself, are we seeing in that time, do we have any idea, incidents? Uh, is it has it gone up or have we been able to see numbers go down? Obviously, one is too many. Yes, absolutely. One is definitely too many. Um, and so with suicide, since the pandemic, we have actually seen a decrease, which is awesome. Um, so we have seen a decrease in the overall suicides in the United States um, since COVID. But that doesn't mean that um, things have gotten better necessarily across the board, right? So we have seen an increase um, in various mental health conditions, um, and we've seen an increase in substance use. And so we have to keep in mind that you can have an increase in risk factors for suicidal behavior like mental health issues, depression, anxiety, substance abuse, and financial stress, things like that. But it doesn't always necessarily translate into an increase in depth. So even though we've seen those risk factors increase, um, we have not seen an increase in actual suicide, which is great. That is great, but I know obviously, uh, and we want to touch on this, so we have one more segment of Courtney's time. We want to get into a little more detail on what we should be looking for, whether it's uh, suicide awareness or even just issues of mental health uh, that that might be impacting people regardless of the age. Courtney Armstrong with Catholics Community Health. Uh, She's a community health program specialist. We have one more segment of her time, and we'll talk to her more right after this. You're listening to Cadillac On Call on 610 KONA. This program provides general information only. Any comments or information presented are strictly for educational purposes. Cadillac and 610 KONA do not endorse any of the suggestions made by the presenter or callers. Now back to Cadillac On Call. Once again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to Catholic on Call, presented by the Catholic Foundation. We're visiting with Courtney Armstrong, Community Health Program Specialist with Catholic Regional Medical Center. And we've talked about this gun safe lock uh, lockbox giveaway that has been held at Ranch and Home as a way to uh, safely help folks store their firearms. And 500 of those have been given away at Ranch and Home, courtesy of the Catholic Foundation. And, Courtney, we want to get back to our discussion as to the why behind this, of finding these ways to help people uh, deal with their mental health issues. And and we touched on on the incredibly important issue of of suicide and suicide awareness. I know there's some educational offerings that you provide. Um, Tell us a little bit about that. the, The initials are QPR. Share for our listeners just what that is real quick. So the QPR training stands for Question, Persuade, Refer, and it is a training that teaches um, attendees how to recognize the signs that someone may be considering suicide, establish a dialogue to help you through the process of getting someone help. Um, And so it's just really about um, empowering and educating 
individuals and um, being able to identify when somebody might be struggling and how to be comfortable having conversations with that individual to get them help and support. And if you would, I know we, it's, it's, it's a quite involved educational process, but maybe one or two of the key, the key warning signs that, that you share with people. Absolutely. So um, warning signs can be broken down into a few different categories, things that somebody might say, um, a behavior that they might display, um, or situations that happen in their life. So, of course, if somebody is sharing with you um, that, you know, they might not want to live anymore or saying that they're really struggling or that they're considering suicide, those are definitely clues that they may not be okay. And then um, some examples of behavioral clues that we might see in somebody is withdrawing from friends and family, um, maybe changing their eating, sleeping habits, um, sudden interest or disinterest in things, change of mood. And so really being able to recognize when um, those we're close to and spend a lot of time with are acting differently and saying things that they normally might not say. Um, And then along with that situational clue. So those are the things um, that might happen in somebody's life that might be a big deal, whether they impact that individual or others and well as well. So things like separation, financial crisis, bullying. Um, so those are situations that are happening in somebody's life um, that are a good indicator that we might just want to check in with them and see if they're okay. So being able to look for the um, situational clues, the behavior clues, and really pay attention to what others are saying Um, is a good window into whether or not we need to have a conversation with them about them being okay or not. And I know we don't have a ton of time, but persuade, I'm guessing there's some some keys that people should have on if they need to get to that point on how they help uh, persuade. Yeah, definitely. So the persuade piece of QPR is all about um, persuading the person to get help and persuading the person to live. And so this is a time where we really sit down and listen to the person who is struggling. You know, listen to how they're feeling, um, listen to, you know, maybe what their needs are. And it's our job to reassure them that it's okay, right? There's hope. Um, I'm here to help you. And so by being um, just a listening ear and by being a support, by just being there and letting them know it's okay, um, we're hoping to get them Um, willing and uh, to accept help and so the goal is to be there and supportive um, of them and then persuading them to get help so letting them know that help is available and it can and it will get better and so persuading them to accept professional help and you have just a minute or so uh, to talk about the refer where should that help come from where should people be referred to Yeah, great question. So, of course, if it's an emergency, so if they are maybe an imminent risk to themselves or somebody else, we absolutely want to call 911. So if you feel it's an emergency, um, always call 911. But we also have our local crisis hotline. Um, So that is um, the local number that will get you to our local crisis services, which is through Comprehensive Health. Um, And so that is a great number to reach and to get a professional on the line um, that will be able to walk you through that process, which that number is 509-792-1747, and that's our local crisis information. And then along with that, there's some national hotlines. Um, There's a text line, which I really recommend. So you just you can text anything to 741 
888-741-7741 and there's support available via text if you're more comfortable with that. And then of course, utilizing um, your local resources um, like emergency departments. That's a great one if somebody feels more comfortable um, going to a hospital um, to seek help as well. But the most important thing is not to leave the person alone. Um, so be there, um, keep, make sure they are safe and um, get them to wherever they feel comfortable to accept help um, and then have help come to them. This is just one of many, many important community health programs that Catholic provides throughout the course of the year on topics such as uh, QPR, as she touches on, suicide awareness, mental health first aid, and all kinds of wonderful programs available. If you'd like to learn more about the available class offerings at at Catholic through the community health programs, visit Catholic.org. Our thanks to Courtney, thanks to Jody, and thanks to Heather Hill of the Benton Franklin Health District. And thank you for listening. We'll talk again next week.